Judges chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the farther side of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem in Judah. This is a different story, but it's still taking place right after Joshua died, when Phinehas was still the high priest of Israel. And it's in a time where Israel had plunged deep into sin and wasn't caring anything about God's laws. And they're experiencing some paganism because they haven't destroyed all of the pagans from the land. This Levite was living in Ephraim, and that's because the Levites didn't have their own territory. They always lived in cities that belonged to other tribes. So he was living in Ephraim, and he took a concubine. And again, the Levites weren't being properly employed or properly housed, so he didn't have the money to call her his wife, to give her standing as his wife, so he took her as a concubine. This shows you how poor he was. Two, and his concubine played the harlot against him. And this also could be from poverty. She went out and was a prostitute to get income. This could show you that both she and her husband were that poor. Now, she didn't do it with her husband's approval. She did it against his will. But she may have done it because she just wanted more income in the house and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem in Judah and was there the space of four months. She practiced prostitution, got some money, and went home to her father. She probably wasn't happy not being a wife and living in such poverty with this Levite who didn't have a job. Now, of course, what she did was sin. But it's interesting how poverty encourages people to sin. But if she had faith and if her husband had faith, they could have called on God, but they didn't. Three, and her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly unto her to bring her back, having his servant with him. Again, he probably is very forgiving because he understands the circumstances in which she practiced prostitution and then went back home to her father because he can't provide for her appropriately. So that's probably why he's so willing to forgive to get her back because she doesn't have the standing of a wife or the household that a wife would expect to have. And he brought his servant and a couple of asses. That would be one for her to ride on. And she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. He has a good relationship with his father-in-law. The father-in-law is hoping for the best, that eventually she will become his wife and they will have children and be prosperous and have grandchildren. The father-in-law wants the best. For in his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him, and he abode with him three days so that they did eat and drink and lodged there. He wouldn't let his son-in-law leave. He wanted his son-in-law to stay and maybe help the couple bond again and help ensure that this kind of marriage is going to stay together. 5. And it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he rose up to depart. And the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, Stay thy heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward ye shall go your way. Now, this was a mistake on the father-in-law's part. His intentions were good, but he said, don't leave in the morning, wait until after supper, and then you can leave. And that was not wise, because it's safer for them 
to travel in daylight instead of traveling at night. And if he had let them leave that morning, it would have been a lot better for them. But by having them stay until supper, he's forcing them to travel at night. Now his intention is probably that he's going to manipulate them into staying another day because when night comes, he'll say, well, now it's too late to travel and you need to stay another night with me. So that was probably his intention. But the man, his son-in-law, is getting really anxious to get back home. 6. So they sat down and did eat and drink, both of them together. And the damsel's father said unto the man, Be content, I pray thee, and tarry all night, and let thy heart be merry. 7. And the man rose up to depart, but his father-in-law urged him, and he lodged there again. So he got his son-in-law to stay one more night. 8. He arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, Stay thy heart, I pray thee, and tarry ye until the day declineth. And they did eat, both of them. Again, the father-in-law is not being wise. He just wants the son-in-law to stay there. Maybe he thinks that when the son-in-law leaves, the marriage will fall apart again. And maybe that's why he doesn't want the son-in-law to leave. But unfortunately, he keeps him through another good day of travel all the way until sundown. 9. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draweth toward evening. Tarry, I pray you, all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here that thy heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way, that thou mayest go. 10. But the man would not tarry that night. The son-in-law doesn't really trust his father-in-law at this point. He's like, you're telling me I can go in the morning, but I know that in the morning you're going to ask me to stay till dinner again. The son-in-law is like, I just have to go now. I can't wait any longer. He makes a bad decision and impulsively leaves in the night. But he rose up and departed and came over against Jebus, the same as Jerusalem. Jebus back then was another name for Jerusalem. And there were with him a couple of asses saddled. His concubine also was with him. And he would have had his servant as well. Eleven. When they were by Jebus, the day was far spent. The servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. The Jebusites are Canaanites. They're not Israelites. But there are Israelites living in the city because they took it over and they let the Jebusites stay there. So it's Canaanites and Israelites dwelling together, which means that the Israelites who live there are adopting pagan practices, which means they're adopting sodomy, temple prostitution, human sacrifice, all kinds of evil stuff. 12. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside into the city of a foreigner that is not of the children of Israel, but we will pass over to Gibeah. The Levite says, It isn't safe to lodge here because there's Canaanites here, so we're going to keep going until we get to Gibeah. 13. And he said unto his servant, Come and let us draw near to one of these places, and we will lodge in Gibeah or in Ramah. He thinks it's going to be safer in a place that's only occupied by Israelites. But what he isn't taking into account is back in these days, Israel was so lawless that between the tribes, there was contention and one tribe would be pitted against the other. That's really evil because all of them are brothers. They're all Israelites, but yet the tribes are having quarrels with each other. 14. So they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon them near to Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. Now they're in the territory of the tribe of Benjamin, and he's a Levite. He's not from Benjamin's tribe. He is from the land of Ephraim, but he isn't an Ephraimite. Now the Benjamites and the Ephraimites would consider themselves very close brothers because Benjamin was the uncle of Ephraim. 
but this is a Levite in Benjamin's territory. 15. And they turned aside thither to go in to lodge in Gibeah, and he went in and sat him down in the broad place of the city, for there was no man that took them into his house. When people traveled in those days, you would just walk into town, everybody could see you out their window, and whoever had a kind heart would take you in. But here he is not welcome. And so nobody takes him in. So he stays in the town square, which is not good. That's like being in downtown at night. 16. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even. This old man hadn't seen him come into town because a man was working out in the field. Unlike everybody else who saw the Levite come to town and they refused to offer him lodging. This old man came in from the field and now sees him there in the town square. Now the man was of the hill country of Ephraim, and he sojourned in Gibeah, but the men of the place were Benjamites. This old man is not welcome there either, even though he lives there. He isn't really respected because he's not a Benjamite, he's an Ephraimite. And at the same time, he probably recognizes the accent of the Levite that he's from Ephraim's country. They have a connection because the Levite was living in Ephraim's territory, and this old man is an Ephraimite. And both of them have another connection in that nobody in this town of Benjamites would want to help them. Now what makes this even more sad is that Benjamin was Ephraim's uncle. The Benjamites and the Ephraimites should really love each other a lot. And Benjamin and Ephraim's father, Joseph, were both the favorite sons of Jacob. That's another reason why the Ephraimites and the Benjamites should be very tight. But here, there's so much hostility in Israel because of the pagan practices. Because remember, paganism makes you hate people. It doesn't make you love people. Because you're abusing people through prostitution, human sacrifice, sodomy, all of that is abuse. So if that's the way you live, you're going to end up thinking that people are not valuable. 17. And he lifted up his eyes, the old man, and saw the wayfaring man in the broad place of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence comest thou? So he said, Where are you going, and where did you come from? 18. And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem to Judah, unto the farther side of the hill country of Ephraim. From thence I am, and I went to Bethlehem in Judah, and I am now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man that taketh me into his house. This Levite is saying, We came from Bethlehem, but I'm on my way to Shiloh, which is the capital of Israel, and that's where the temple is, and the priest. He wants to work in the temple, which is where he should be. And maybe that's where he thinks his future lies, is if he can get a job in the tabernacle area in Shiloh, then he can provide for his wife, and then they can live in peace, and she can actually become his wife, and they can have a good life at that point. And he said, And there is no man that taketh me into his house. 19. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me and for thy handmaid, and for the young man that is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. The Levite is telling the old man, all we need is a place to stay. We have our own food to eat, and we have our own provender for our donkeys to eat. We don't need anything but a roof over our heads. 20. And the old man said, Peace be unto thee. Howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the broad place. The old man is telling them, No, you keep your food for the rest of your journey. I'm going to feed you, but don't stay here in the town square. It's dangerous. Come home with me and I'll feed you. 21. So he brought him into his house and gave the asses fodder, and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. He fed the donkeys and the people. 
and he comforted them by washing the dust off of their feet. 22. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain base fellows, beset the house round about, beating at the door. Now this is just like Sodom and Gomorrah, when the angels came to Lot's house, and the men came and beat on the door and demanded to rape the angels, sodomize them. This is the same thing happening. These Benjamites are beating on the old man's door, demanding to sodomize the Levite. And it's their own flesh and blood because it's another Israelite. But they're so evil in their pagan practices that they don't even recognize him as their flesh and blood, even though he's a Levite of all things. They should respect him even more for being a Levite. And they spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thy house, that we may know him, which means that we may rape him. Because in the Bible, knowing somebody is a euphemism for having sex with them. But in this case, it's going to be rape. 23. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man has come into my house, do not this want indeed. He's reminding them that this man is a traveler and a foreigner in this land. And God had expressly told them multiple times, you always have to be kind to foreigners. You're not allowed to hurt foreigners. And that's what the old man is reminding them. You can't hurt him. 24. Behold, here is my daughter a virgin and his concubine. I will bring them out now and humble ye them and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so want in a thing. The old man is offering his own virgin daughter and the concubine of the Levite for them to gang rape. This sounds really harsh and cruel, and it is, but it's the lesser of two evils. As cruel as it is, it would have been worse for him to throw the Levite out the door. It's hard for people in our current society to accept because we're so emotion-based, but you have to think of it logically as what is the greater sin. Sodomy is a worse sin than regular fornication. Even though fornication is an abomination unto the Lord, sodomy is like a double abomination. And also, harming a foreigner is worse than harming somebody from your own group or tribe. Since both the women are women, it would be fornication when they rape the women, whereas if they rape the man, it's fornication and sodomy. It's really sad and cruel. The old man is choosing the lesser of two evils, just like Lot did when he offered his own daughters. When the men wanted to rape the angels, he offered his own daughters because not only were the angels men, he thought, but even more so they were foreigners and strangers in the land. So that's what's going on here, as hard as it is for people in modern day to swallow that. 25. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man laid hold on his concubine. Now this is the Levite. The Levite has decided that since he's the guest in the home, it's his concubine who should be thrown out to the men instead of the old man's daughter. So he takes the matter into his own hands and against the old man's will and against the Benjamites' will who are pounding on the door, he just throws the woman out. And they're so full of lust that they just go ahead and take her. So he threw her out the door and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her, which means that they raped her, and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. But at this point, her life is already over. Being gang-raped all night, there's no way she could survive that. Now another reason the Levite may have thrown her out is because he didn't want the virgin girl to be abused because she had never done anything wrong, whereas his wife had played the harlot. 
26. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of that man's house where her Lord was till it was light. She somehow crawled back to her husband's house and collapsed at the door. 27. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the door of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house with her hands upon the threshold. And the threshold is the opening of the door. She was able to live long enough to put her hands on the threshold, but she couldn't knock. 28. And he said unto her, Up and let us be going. This also sounds really cruel, because you would think, why didn't he put his arms around her and lift her up? She's defiled, and if he touches her, he will become defiled. But he's on his way to apply for a job being a priest when he gets to Shiloh, which is another 22 miles north. It's a day's travel, and he wants to be clean when he arrives there. Their future lies in whether or not he will become employed in Shiloh. She didn't flinch. Then he took her upon the ass. So now he knows she's dead and got him unto his place. So he went home with her corpse. He put her corpse on the donkey. 29. And when he was come into his house, at this point he decides not to go to Shiloh, the capital. He must feel himself unworthy and defiled to be entering there because remember, Levites aren't supposed to touch dead bodies, and he's now touched the body of his concubine. He's unclean. Also on top of that, now that she's dead, he doesn't need a better job to provide for her anymore. He's kind of given up on his career aspirations. And so he went back to his original home in the land of Ephraim. 29. And when he was come into his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her limb by limb. Now she's dead. He isn't torturing her. She's been dead this whole time that he rode home. He cut her into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the borders of Israel. He sent one piece of her to each of the 12 tribes as a testimony to the evil that they had done and that they owed him compensation. 30. And it was so that all that saw it said, Such a thing hath not happened nor been seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. All the people are appalled at this testimony that the girl was gang raped and she belonged to a Levite and the Benjamites did it, the whole land of Israel, all 12 tribes are in an uproar. And that's where we leave it in Judges chapter 19. We'll find out in the next chapter how the Israelites react to this tragedy.